You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day. Day at Whole Foods Market. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. But what COVID is perhaps changing the, the goalposts here is if you say to someone who's um, you know overweight, has a poor diet, you say, come on, you, you need to try to change because you will avoid the risk of chronic disease in 20 years' time, they may not be so interested. But actually, with COVID, what it's showing is people who have these comorbidities are more likely to get a fatal illness now. So actually, COVID, you know, the horrible, terrible catastrophe, might actually be getting people thinking, well, actually, maybe I need to be changing now, not to prevent a disease in 20 years' time, to prevent a disease which could happen next week. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. Show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. I'm delighted to welcome back Professor Robert Thomas to the show. You may remember that we spoke with Professor earlier this year about oncology and how he encourages diet and lifestyle during treatment uh, of cancer as well as after treatment and the evidence base behind that. His brilliant book, Keep Healthy After Cancer, which is something I linked to in the show notes. But today we're going to be talking about something that may be perceived as quite controversial can you eat for COVID? Now, I want to make it clear at the start that we're not talking about replacing treatments that we have for COVID-19 in the hospitals with food or singular uh, supplements or singular foods in in their entirety. What we're talking about is the foundation behind why certain people might have a worse outcome of COVID-19 when they come into contact with it. But also, we're going to be talking about his current trial using food supplements and probiotics as an addition to conventional treatment and exploring whether that has any elements or any evidence of improvement in severity or reduction in the complications associated with this disease. It's something that sounds very controversial on the outset, but I think that's because as allopathic doctors, we are used to using drugs and pharmaceuticals alone rather than exploring other things that we should uh, really be paying a lot more attention to, particularly as more and more people are becoming 
used to the idea that a healthy lifestyle and a foundation which lessens the likelihood of comorbidities can improve outcomes with this particular virus, but also other conditions as well. On the show, we talk about his current experience of COVID on the ward and how that compares to earlier in the year, his latest trial using food supplements, as well as how they went about choosing what types of foods to put in a pill form, the formulation of the product with industry, um, the confounding that is likely to be picked up, um, but what the potential results could mean for medicine going forward, his experience of conducting the research and the research and just how long it took to get ethical approval, um, as well as why lifestyle modification and the prevention of comorbidities has to be the foundation before we start adding supplements to the list of interventions as well. I think you're going to find this a really useful podcast. Professor is uh, a pleasure to speak to. And I also uh, cook him a very easy recipe that is full of prebiotics and polyphenols, things that he talks about. And as someone who is a self-confessed can't cook, won't cook, I think I converted him with this recipe. You can check it out on YouTube. But for now, onto the podcast. All right. Um, thanks so much for coming into the studio. You're very welcome. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. The reason why we're doing the second podcast is because uh, I really wanted to teach you how to cook. After mm. the last time we chatted, I remember you saying, you're not much of a cook. You can't cook the same kind of meals that I can cook. So this is really a challenge for me to try and teach Absolutely. you something that you can you know, could be a family afterwards. So. I, I think it's a bigger challenge than you think, actually. <laughs> First of all, I'll never be able to cook like you can cook, okay. but I can't even cook at all is the important <laughs> point. I know a lot about food. I have to say, I know about nutrition yeah. and what's in it, but uh, I just don't have your knack, I'm afraid. Okay, but, uh, cool. I'll be right. proved wrong at the end of the show. I okay, hope. brilliant, brilliant. I'm glad. All right, so the first things first, we're going to be cooking a, um, a Greek-style uh, bean stew. It's got cinnamon, honey, oregano. We're going to finish it off with feta. Um, and it's uh, you can also make it with orzo if you want to make it a little bit more heavy. I'm going to keep it quite light with just some chopped tomatoes and some really good um, prebiotic uh, vegetables as well. Excellent. First things first, turn on the oven, 200 degrees centigrade, and make sure you've got enough space for it, and that's it. Okay. And then we're so going to do some first chicken. thing is to buy an oven. <laughs> you don't have an oven? No, not yet. We're waiting for one. So, really? Uh, yeah. So uh, there will be one shortly. So shortly. We'll okay. Fine. Yet, well, so. well, this is quite versatile because you can put it on a hob. Okay. Good. You do have a hob. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so the first time we talked about um, healthy living, a, a lot of the stuff that you've talked about in your book, um, keeping healthy after cancer, keep healthy after cancer. Um, today, I think I want to talk a bit more about gut health in particular. This is something you have a strong interest in, as well as some of the studies that you're doing uh, with regard to COVID and, um, and also about sports performance, uh, nutrition and some other things that you've clearly you know, got, done a lot of reading around. So, um, but how are you doing, first of all, with the whole COVID situation and, and still being a consultant on medical wards? Yeah, well, um, as you know, I'm a consultant oncologist, so that's affected oncology quite a bit. We've had to shorten radiotherapy regimes. We've had to think twice about starting people on chemotherapy. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the, the saddest thing is that some people have delayed uh, presenting. So in the last few weeks, I've seen 
quite a few young people actually with, with tumours without COVID would have presented probably two or three months earlier. And that's going to affect their prognosis. It means they're more likely to need chemotherapy uh, and have all the effects of that. Um, and of course, the hospital's been super busy. Yeah. So we've all been dragged, like yourself, been dragged up to the medical wards and covering A&E and things. So, uh, but fortunately, the, uh, the, unless we get a second peak, the peak seems to have gone. We've only got uh, four patients at the moment in, oh, wow. in, in Bedford, one of the hospitals I work in. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, and I do, as you know, I do a, a ward round most mornings to try and pick up patients who want to go into our study. Yeah. Um, which we can talk about more later if you want. Well, let's talk about that, actually, because I'm, I'm fascinated by the study that you're doing um, and also, to, you know, taking the opportunity to promote it as well. I think that'd yeah, be brilliant. Yeah. Um, well, it's quite clear from the data so far, without sort of blaming people for catching COVID, which is the last thing we want to do. Yeah. But if you look at something like the New York data, where 15,200 people died, uh, you know, very tragic, of those only 99 didn't have a, something else wrong with them. So obesity, heart problems, diabetes. Um, and of course, you, you don't want to blame people for having those illnesses, but we know over a long period of time um, what you eat uh, and what, how much exercise you do, etc., and your lifestyle choices uh, do strongly determine whether you're going to get those lifestyle-related disease. So... Taking that as a sort of basic hypothesis, we're thinking, well, if someone gets COVID, although, you know, we can't reverse time and sort of, you know, once the diabetes is set in, but could we do something with nutrition um, to improve their immunity, inflammatory status within the time frame where it would affect um, the, the natural course of, of the disease? Uh, of course, we don't know that, and that's why we need to do a study. So the hypothesis is if you, if you get people and give them uh, phytochemical-rich foods, you know, foods with lots of uh, aroma, um, color, and, and taste, uh, all things you cook with, we can change their gut health with uh, targeted probiotics. Mm -hmm. We could reduce the uh, dysfunction and inflammation and reduce the course of uh, the illness and hopefully improve outcomes. So that's that's what we're that's what we're currently doing: randomising people uh, to a placebo or that intervention. And just taking a step back with regard to the likelihood of uh, adverse outcomes with COVID if you do have comorbidities, what is the what what are the different mechanisms of action as to why you're more at risk if you do have comorbidities like high blood pressure, obesity, etc.? Uh, well, it, there's, there's twofold. One is if you have problems with your heart and lungs, when you have a, a, a terrible virus like COVID, it puts enormous strain on those. So if you're, if you're weak to start with, you're more likely to get uh, fatal consequences. Um, but I'm more interested in uh, the chance of actually um, getting a severe form of COVID because we know many people get COVID and just have a temperature for a few days or a bit of a headache. Uh, and th those, that's what I'm trying to look at. Why are those people um, less affected? And I think gut health, my opinion is gut health has a lot to do with that. Uh, as we'll talk about in this program, there's lots of issues which affect, adversely affect gut health. Um, and we have, you know, millions, trillions of bacteria in our gut, part of the microbiome. Those 
form or stimulate the immunity. So if we have a bad gut, you have a dysfunctional immunity, which means you have uh, lower immune surveillance, so you're more likely to catch an infection, and you have higher chronic inflammation, which means your reaction to that infection is dysfunctional. So, um, for example, you could overreact to the virus and cause the uh, cytosine, cytokine storm, which is the thing which really affects the lungs and, and that's actually ultimately fatal. You can get uh, really bad diarrhea, which many people are getting, which can you can lose electrolytes, etc., which can also be fatal. Um, so that's that's the so if you start off with a poor gut health, you're more likely to catch COVID and get a severe form of it. And when you've got it, you're more likely then to overreact to the to the inflama- uh, to the virus and create this excess inflammation, and you get these exudates in the lung, which 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 is the fatal form. Yeah. And that's a bit way a bit. The, the main study is the hydroxychloroquine, and, yes. and that's a, an out-of-date malaria tablet. Mm. And that's looking at ways to dampen down uh, excess inflammation. It's the same sort of pathway. But I, I strongly believe food yeah. would be more powerful, but harder to prove yes. and yeah. harder to control in a study, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why it's, it's great that you're doing this in a, you know, in a way that meets the scientific rigor um, mm. with the randomization. And what, what, what exactly are you putting in the, uh, in the intervention arm? Right, so uh, there's two interventions. One is a, uh, a mixture of lactobacillus probiotics, which has been specifically made uh, for the trial called Your, Your Gut Plus. Um, and we're not trying to emulate the whole gut microbiome. I mean, there's... That'd be pretty hard. Trillions, yeah, <laughs> we need a tablet the size of this room. And I mean, there's trillions of different bacteria, as you know. Um, and there's new strains being discovered every week. So it's an uncharted passage, excuse yeah. the metaphor. Uh, what we're trying to do is just, just support the gut with uh, butyrate-forming bacteria. So these are the healthy bacteria or um, the bacteroidetes-type bacteria, which the, they're anti-inflammatory. Uh, they produce, they, they metabolize polyphenols into butyrate, Butyrate feeds the gut health. Uh, they, are, they are an antidote to carcinogens. Uh, they, they restore gut integrity, so they make the gut healthy. And if the gut's healthy, you have a healthier immunity. So, it's the, so the first part is uh, just to top up your um, probiotic intake. Uh, the second intervention is a polyphenol-rich food whole food supplements so so these aren't chemicals removed from foods they're just foods which have been concentrated and put into a pill so it just boosts your intake okay uh and yeah they can be freeze-dried uh they can just be ground um in the case of turmeric for example which is one of the ingredients within that we have also done some extracts from that food but it's only the whole oil extracts it's not actually like removing a chemical like vitamin a or vitamin e or lycopene or something like that which is a much more in-depth process mm-hmm. uh, so essentially it's a, it's a food in a pill okay. and we looked actually at the sars the last sars outbreak there's a lot of data from china and the far east and india where they've looked at which foods have direct antiviral properties. Oh, really? And the, there's, there's surprisingly quite a few, and not just for SARS, it was looking at herpes and uh, HPV. 
Um, so one of, the, one of the ways these foods work is they can have direct antiviral properties. The other way they work is they can um, regulate an appropriate inflammatory response. Okay. So they improve the immunity and then they avoid this excess inflammation, which is also important. Mm -hmm. But they have lots of other benefits which we can talk about for hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the intervention is a series of polyphenol ritual. And we just looked at the trials which were published over the last five years and we sort of picked... Uh, the best bet, basically. Yeah. And we looked at foods in different categories. So there's no point having ginger and turmeric and, you know, the, it's really the same polyphenols. Same polyphenols. So right. we've got things like uh, chamomile tea, yeah. um, aloe vera, turmeric, pomegranate, uh, green tea, which uh, are packed full of these really healthy polyphenols. Yeah. And we're combining that with a probiotic and comparing... Uh, that against placebo. So half the people in the trial, I'm afraid, are on placebo, which we don't know who, yeah. and the other half is in that intervention. I want to talk a bit more about those polyphenols, particularly from the different types of foods that you just suggested, but let me introduce you to my set of polyphenols for Absolutely. this, uh, <laughs> the for this recipe. Pack. Exactly, yeah. So we've got, um, just to keep you up to speed, as you've seen, I've done it exactly the same time as we've been chatting here. Uh, there's chopped leeks and chopped celery. You can chop yeah yeah <laughs> i can do that <laughs> right answer i've also put the stalks of the parsley in here okay. as well because you, you it's got fiber it's got those polyphenols as well you want to put those in two because we're, we're cooking for about six people here your your kids here as well um we've got some white beans two cans of white beans and then two uh cans of chopped tomatoes uh that I've just put in here i've added some seasoning and a little bit of chili flakes with some black pepper and now we're going to go in with the spices. So I'm hitting it pretty hard with about a tablespoon of oregano, mm -hmm. cumin. Do you, you don't have any pet hates or no, anything no. like that, no? So we got tea, about a teaspoon or so of cumin. I usually do it by eye, but I'm doing it like this just to show you how mm -hmm. easy it is. Yeah. I hope you're taking notes. I'll send you the recipe okay. afterwards. A stick of cinnamon. Okay. So cinnamon goes in. Three sprigs of rosemary. Again, pick that up from any supermarket. A couple of bay leaves. I keep these in the freezer, so you know you can use them whenever. So they've just been taken out for a little while. Um, I'm gonna add about two tablespoons of balsamic vinegar, okay. just to add some acidity because you wanna kind of balance the flavors. Got loads of sweet flavors coming mm. from the tomatoes and the honey that I'm about to put in. Um, so you always wanna balance sweet and, and acidity. Um, and just about, a tablespoon or so of honey. You don't need to add the honey, but I find that it, it, it does really balance the meal. And I think, you know, part of the flavor, part, part of the enjoyment of food is making sure you've got plenty of flavor in there as well. I'm gonna add a tiny bit of the uh, hot water just to help everything come together. And just give a little bit of liquid. The other thing that you can add to this meal is um, orzo. Um, so that's like a dried pasta, which kind of looks, resembles kind of like rice. Yeah. Um, if you didn't want to add orzo, you want to add something a little bit more high fiber, you could add something like a rice pea pasta or you know, other sort of whole wheat pastas. Those are absolutely fine. Um, it's going to add a little bit more hot water and then this goes in the oven and we're going to continue our podcast whilst I'm quote unquote cooking. And you'd add it at this stage, the yep. pastoral rice. Okay. I would add it at this yeah. stage. Everything goes into one pan. This is sort of, this is a, a three to one meal. So it's, um, it's an adapted recipe for one of my three to one uh, recipes from the new book that's coming out in January, 2021. Um, and it's, it's literally simple. Yeah. Because most people suffer. I mean, 
you work on the wards at the moment, you you know, the last thing you want to do when you come back home is cook like a massive meal that's mm. complicated. It's got like two or three pounds on the go, whatever. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of meal you want to be able to cook. Absolutely. Something that you can make it look very simple. Yeah, <laughs> and it is, it is simple. Okay. It is simple, right. trust me. Pop this into your oven at 200 degrees centigrade that really pre-warms. And this goes in for about 20 to 25 minutes. And that's it. And now I'm just okay. going to put so a timer. A, yeah. oh, we'll use that. So that's 20, 25 minutes. We'll, we'll check it out. Let's say uh, tw- about, let's say 35 minutes past the hour. Okay. I'll take it out and let it stand for about five minutes. And then we're just going to garnish with the rest of the parsley leaves and a bit of feta, some aged cheese, some probiotics. Yeah. And that's it. Brilliant. Looking forward to it. Good. <laughs> We're going to stop for a second whilst I clear this down and then uh, we can get on with the rest of the podcast. Okay. Great. <laughs> well, we're going to talk a bit more about the uh, the research that went into as to why you put those particular um, products into the intervention. Mm. But also you wanted to mention the ingredients that I just put in there. Yeah, and yeah, the and the talk about both of them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, well, the theme of today is gut health as mm. well as other things, um, and there's various ways you can promote gut health. So um, I would like to split it up into. Uh, it's not as simple as this. So there's two types of bacteria. There's the, the good bacteria and the bad bacteria, or friendly and unfriendly. Uh, other people call it pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. The official name, if I can get it right, is Bacteroidetes are the good ones and uh, Firmicusutes are the the bad ones. But anyway, um, so if you have foods with uh, bacteria in, so you mentioned the feta cheese, that's fermented. So that will have a lactobacillus type friendly bacteria. We're going to put that in in afterwards. But actually, it's the prebiotics, as you know, which uh, determine a lot of the of which bacteria are going to grow and which aren't going to grow into your gut. So you put leeks in, uh, a, an alumin vegetable, and they're full of uh, prebiotic soluble fibers or fermentable soluble fibers. And what they do is, they, well, there's a number of things. First of all, they, uh, they are metabolized into butyrate. So they get polyphenols, which we'll mention in a minute, and they metabolize polyphenols into butyrate. Now, butyrate feeds the healthy uh, gut, so it feeds the gut, and uh, in return, other uh, healthy bacteria feed off butyrate as well. Um, They actually, so if you have more healthy gut growing, uh, healthy bacteria growing, there's not enough room for the unhealthy bacteria or the pathogenic bacteria to grow. Um, some of the, um, are you putting mushrooms in there? You're not putting mushrooms in there? I that could one? put mushrooms in there. A, a really good way of adding mushrooms to it would be if you use the dehydrated mushrooms because they have a lot more flavor and it preserves a lot of the polyphenols and mm. the, uh, the um, I forget the name of them, the ergogenic acids, I think they are. They're, they're a novel antioxidant that you find in different types of mushrooms. Mm. And you get loads of different types as well in a, in a pack. So trompette, girole, chanterelle, all those different ones. Yeah, that they, I mean, lots of those foods you've got contain natural antibiotics, particularly the mushrooms. Mm. And it's a strange quirk of nature that those antibiotics, not like the ones we're taking, they actually tend to kill 
the firmicutes mm. ba uh, bacteria, the bad bacteria, but they don't kill the good bacteria. Ah. So they preferentially encourage the good bacteria to grow. And when you've got uh, a good ratio of uh, good to bad bacteria, that improves gut integrity, and there's all sorts of things which you get from yeah. that. Yeah. Um, oh, but there you go. So, I mean, the prebiotics that we add to our food, um, I think a, a lot of people would prefer to use a supplement because it has sort of a medicinal feel. You know, the fact that you're purchasing something that is usually quite expensive um, without really laying the foundations for something like that to work. And I think, you know, making sure that people are aware of uh, the importance of the aluminum, the ambitherous vegetables, all the different types of, of high fiber items as well to ensure the probiotics that we have naturally in our food, as well as the ones that we might take in supplemental form are going to be doing the job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I actually think that the prebiotics are probably more important than, than the probiotics. Although yeah. in a British society, we don't tend to eat much bacteria. I mean, if, I was in Japan last year and there's loads of fermented foods mm. in Korea, there's kimchi, mm. even in uh, Eastern Europe, there's lots of fermented foods, um, pickles, sauerkraut mm. and things. Mm. Um, we do have yogurt, but mm. a lot of the yogurts we see in the supermarket aren't actually live yogurts. Yeah. So if you want to boost your bacterial intake, you know, look for the live variety mm -hmm. or uh, mature cheeses, mm. uh, kefir, you're seeing more and more now. Um, but it's the it's also the the prebiotics the the beans mm. uh, the, the, well the legumes which are beans and seeds mm. uh, onions artichokes um, chickpeas those yeah. sort of things they are packed full of uh, prebiotics but also packed full of uh, phytosterols mm -hmm. which reduce cholesterol. Mm -hmm. uh, phytoestrogens, which have anti-cancer properties, particularly the hormone-related cancers. Um, but many people avoid those foods because, you know, you take a, a you, you've got white beans, mm. which is a great prebiotic. Uh, if you're not, if you haven't eaten beans for a while and you eat beans, you know, you get a bit bloated yeah. and you have gas. But it's very obvious from the data uh, that if you have beans, it's about a quarter of a cup of those sort of foods a day, yeah. which seems quite a lot you don't get that bloating and mm. gas. You only mm. get it at the beginning when you're not used to the yeah. air intake. Yeah. So it's, you have to get past that barrier mm. uh, and mm. start eating them regularly and then, then you really reap the benefits. Yeah, and, and going back to the list of foods that you added to your intervention, um, you mentioned green tea, chamomile. Uh, what, what, what was the, um, what, do, you, do you know what the full list is or are you allowed to, or is uh, that proprietary information? Uh, yeah, it's quite an extensive <laughs> list, so I can't often remember. Yeah. Uh, so what, what we did, um, as I said, we used the probiotics, which I've just mentioned, mainly the lactobacillus, because they're the sort of safe, safest mm. ones. They, they are metabolized, uh, they metabolize polyphenols into butyrate, mm. which feeds the healthy gut. So mm. that's, that was the choice of that. We didn't want a probiotic supplement, which had hundreds of different yeah. bacteria, which we're not really sure about. Yeah. Certainly didn't want to put anyone at risk. Yes. So we went for a safer option. Uh, and we made sure it's strong enough. It had 10, million, 10 billion colony forming units. Gotcha. So it's quite a strong one, but a mm. safe variety. Okay. So on the uh, food capsule, which as I said, is just simply whole foods. Mm. And it's a convenient way to boost your intake. We'd never say it's instead of eating food like yours, mm. uh, but it would boost your intake, particularly if you take it, say, with, with your breakfast 
a time when a lot of British people don't have a lot of polyphenols. Mm-hmm. You know, they tend to go for white toast, yeah. and sugary jam. Mm. Um, and we looked at the ones which had prebiotic properties, so they're going to promote the growth of the bacteria, mm-hmm. but also full of polyphenols, mm-hmm. which are uh, which have enormous health benefits. Um, so just to run through those quickly, we've got the they they are and they restore inflammation, so they reduce excess inflammation, and they improve immune surveillance. So they just make your immune system to run more efficiently. Mm-hmm. They affect the app oxidative enzymes so they encourage the formation of oxidative enzymes when we're under attack okay Uh, so unlike vitamin a and vitamin e which are direct antioxidants and they can you can actually overdo it with those you can have too much oxidative Mm. uh, capacity Uh, these just encourage the the appropriate uh, oxidative response so it avoids uh, oxidative stress which Mm. is carcinogenic Mm. and damaging for all sorts of systems in your body. Mm. So we chose the foods which had most of those. And as I said, it was uh, green tea and turmeric are always up high on the list. Uh, uh, We had some pomegranate and actually chamomile seems to be high in a type of polyphenol, which has direct antiviral properties. Okay. uh, And same as pomegranate. All right. And those uh, polyphenols have been shown to reduce viral replication and reduce the ability of the virus to penetrate into a normal cell and shred. So when when viruses go into a normal cell, they sort of attack it, they replicate, and they shred viruses back into the bloodstream. So the hypothesis is it could stop the infection of a cell, stop the damage to the cell, and stop it spreading. Wow. And and looking at the list of foods that you, you put into this supplement, was that on the basis of observational studies um, for, for people consuming those foods and having less likelihood of uh, worse outcomes with the initial SARS outbreak? Or were there a collection of both observational and some intervention studies perhaps done in India and China? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot we don't know about these yeah. foods. And uh, most of the data from what I've just talked about come from animal and cell mm. line studies. Okay. Um, and then uh, on the other side of the coin are observational studies. So mm-hmm. if you look at a population yeah. which eats more of these foods, they tend to have a lower effect from viruses and other chronic conditions. Mm. Um, but the amount of evidence from you know, class A studies, double-blind, randomized trials, mm. is, is lacking. Yeah. Um, and that, that's why we wanted to do mm. this trial. Uh, you know why? Why are there so few double-blind, randomized studies? Yeah. Is 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 difficult to explain? The conspiracy theorists say that because these are not, uh, uh, you, you can't. Uh, there's no intellectual property around them. You can't sort of uh, trademark turmeric, etc. Yeah. So even though it's in a capsule, at the end of the day, these things can be easily be bought over the counter and be made by multiple different people. Yeah. So there's no sort of protection from a drug company to, yeah. or no incentive for a drug company to do them. Mm. Uh, but in our trials, you know, we just want to get the information out there, and then people can make their own own choices. And choices, yeah. And is the aim to have a commercial spin-off from this collection of different ingredients or is it just for public information about the impact of perhaps having these in your normal diet? Um, well, I mean, research is expensive yeah. um, and, uh, you know, we we 
got donated the probiotic from Your Gut Plus. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was probably about £20,000 worth of probiotic we got free for the study. And mm. no doubt the company who's making it will want to sell it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're not, they're not uh, you know, they're, they're not... Uh, particularly unique there's a lot of different companies could make the same sort of thing of the food capsule again then they're not uh, there's no intellectual property around them Mm. i suppose for the company who uh, supplied it to us if the the trial does turn out to be significant uh they would get a bit of a head start and no doubt they would be selling it yeah but we get we get the products for free And, uh, you know, so it's, it's a two-way situation. It's another sort of way of, of funding studies because yeah. we're not going to get grants from drug companies. Absolutely we're not, not going to. No. And we could try to go through the sort of 150-page uh, application <laughs> forms for, for, for money. And, you know, that's going to take a year. Yeah. And for this study, we didn't have a year. It already took four months to get through the ethics committees oh, and really? the MHRA. Even now? Yeah, I mean, oh, that wow. was fast track. Wow. Uh, normally, it takes well over 18 months to get a trial through. Um, so the fast track is even yeah. a little bit slow for us. Yeah, at especially when you're to... struggling to recruit patients for the trial as well, particularly right now. Well, it's a bit of a shame because we started the process in February when we were getting 100 patients a day through casualty. Mm. And we sort of anticipated we'd get it finished by about July. Mm. And, um, you know, but we had to go to the MHRA, which is the drug regulatory authority because Mm. they get very confused with food in Mm. trials Mm. because they are they in their mindset is just drugs yeah uh so when you say it's it's a food and they say well it's an it's a randomized trial i said yes but you can investigate foods it's not against (laughs) the law they just it takes some there's a, a loop you have to go through which takes several months before they actually understand that yeah. foods could be beneficial to health right yeah, yeah. Uh, which yeah. seems to be um quite alien to many people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so once we got past that we were allowed they gave us all that all we wanted for them is permission to proceed yeah and yeah. that took four months wow um and of course we only we the, the number of patients coming through is less and less which is good of course but it means we're we're going to be much slower getting the answer yeah. for this for this study. Do, do you think there's scope for people becoming sort of um, uh, social scientists in this era, where you know people could, like you said, purchase these food supplements uh, themselves, enrol themselves in the study, have a positive uh, test for COVID, and actually document their symptoms, their if there's a recurrence, the severity of the symptoms, etc., over a period of time, and you can actually map out whether people who took the intervention had positive benefits or not? Um, Well, with a clinical trial, you have to really control everything because what you don't want is uh, you want objective data. So, And you need independent statisticians Mm. to come in and analyze your data for you. And even then with COVID, Mm. we started off thinking, oh, it's going to be a temperature and a cough. Mm. But actually, it's not. As you know, it's it's diarrhea, it's Mm. extreme fatigue. Mm. Um, It's very, and we have to use validated questionnaires. So we've had had to go back a few times and do trial amendments Mm. to, like we've got fatigue now as the main endpoint, because that seems to be the most common symptom. Wow especially as uh, people who've had, say, the disease, the peak of the disease a month ago. Um, but if you start, you know, that, 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 is, a, that is a problem. If people um, hear what I've said about the ingredients, they go out and buy them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
you know, they're, they're healthy things. They're not yeah. going to do any harm. Mm. Um, but we don't know they, they work and we really need to know the answer mm. because if they, if they do work, mm. we, could, we could expand that information across the world. We could then do further studies, sort of homing into which of those ingredients has, has the best benefit. Mm. I think with food, to have a mixture of a lot of things is always better. Yeah. And otherwise you go down the, the drug route, don't yeah. you? You're taking out one chemical. Mm. Um, so it, it's an issue. And, and one thing we've noticed with recruitment is when we start mentioning the word probiotic, people are very unhappy to be randomized Right. Because they've, yeah. they've heard the benefits of probiotics. Yeah. They've taken antibiotics when they've had their COVID. Mm. Their gut health is probably all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So they're thinking, well, actually, I want the probiotic. Yeah. So actually, we're doing, another, uh, we're doing another trial amendment. So both groups will actually get the probiotic. Oh, really? Um, and we're randomizing the other food. Gotcha. The re- the, scientifically, that's less robust. Uh-huh because you've given both interventions, but it means that we can give something positive to the patients in the trial and they can start seeing a benefit um, because people are reporting benefits post-COVID probiotics, actually. So that's going to be, I think, from next week, which is, um, you know, second meeting in August, Mm. they will be uh, all having the yogurt plus and they'll be randomized to the the, to the food supplement wow that's super interesting i mean already you're gonna have to gear yourself up for being um not attacked but there's a, there's a softer word for that when you know your food supplement contains a list of so many different ingredients like well the scientist will, will uh, in me will say well how do you know it was the chamomile Absolutely. instead yeah. of the green tea or whatever and how do you know it's a combination rather than just the mushrooms doing all the work sort of thing and i think we're always going to have to deal with that when it comes to nutritional science but i think the more money we invest in preventative measures and management measures using simple lifestyle and and dietary means the better the outcomes for for Mm. most people and i think this extends as you as you've been talking about for a number of years now into Mm. oncology as well well, as you may know, we about five, six years ago, we did another similar study using a supplement which had broccoli, green tea, turmeric and pomegranate. Mm. And we looked at men on active surveillance for early prostate cancer. Mm. And we had exactly the same questions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we, we did... Carry on talking. I'm just going to pull this out of the oven. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, we, we didn't want uh, to extract one chemical. That's ex- we wanted the opposite of, of, a, of a drug trial. Uh, and that study was highly significant. In fact, it showed a 64% reduction in the rate of PSA progression in men with early disease. And that resulted in a very significant difference in outcome. It stopped people going on to radical interventions um, and uh, kept many people on active surveillance. Um, and then when we presented that to ASCO, the world's biggest cancer conference, uh, you know, all these questions came. But we were actually very pleasantly surprised because every year they get 10 papers to be the, 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 the most important papers for that disease, for mm. prostate cancers in the plenary mm. sessions. And we were invited to be one of those. Yeah. Of course, that upset quite a lot of people. <laughs> you know, there's 44,000 oncologists around the world. And obviously a lot of them are sort of 
paid, you know, supported yeah. by drug companies, etc. <laughs> uh, I don't want to say there's a big conspiracy yeah, here, yeah, but yeah. Uh, uh, you know, um, you know, I had to sort of <laughs> fly economy and stay yeah. at a B and B down the road while they were in the five star hotels. Anyway, no, no, no bitterness yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, there was a lot of people say, "How do you know which one works?" I said, yeah. "Well, look, it's probably." The combination of yeah. it all, the same way in diet, you yeah. know, you have to, uh, and each of those, they said, well, which is, which polyphenol? I said, well, in turmeric alone, mm. there are 120 different phytochemicals. Mm. In green tea, there are hundreds of different phytochemicals. Mm. All we know is from the um, cohort data, the laboratory data, we know that these foods have definite medicinal properties. Mm. Uh, and we know that if, we now know from that trial, if you boost them, uh, particularly, as I say, taking them in the morning and lunchtime in times of the day you wouldn't have them normally. We know they have beneficial properties. And I mm. think there's loads more trials waiting to be done on that sort of thing, yeah, uh, yeah. which will show a benefit. Do you think there's scope, and this is really high level thinking here, and I'm, I'm thinking with the, my sort of like public health obesity strategy hat on, where if there is a clear benefit to be determined by increasing polyphenol concentration of people's diets, even if that means with supplementation, such mm. as the one that you've described in the intervention for the POMI tea, as well as the one that you're doing right now with COVID, do you think there's a rationale for the government to be subsidizing polyphenol rich supplements to people's diets as we can't always be relied on and myself included to eat mm. well every single day? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the number one message is to eat well. Yeah, 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 we, of course. That goes yeah, without yeah. saying. And and like yourself, I try to make an effort. But if I'm exercising a lot or, uh, you know, I've had a stressful day, I will definitely take some extra supplements. Mm. Or in the probiotic side, I, if I'm going on holiday mm. um, I, with different water, different types of foods, I will definitely cover myself with a probiotic. Mm. If you've been in hospital or taken a course of antibiotics, there's lots of indications. Yeah. You should never take a probiotic daily if yeah. you're otherwise well. Mm. There's no evidence for that, but there's many situations where they would help. Mm. So yes, I, I, you know, the, it was beginning to get to a situation that Norfolk and Norwich, for example, were giving probiotics for people before they were admitted to hospital. Oh, really? There's evidence to reduce the risk of uh, Clostridium infection. Gotcha. There's a, a new strategy run by the Royal College of Anaesthetists mm -hmm. called the Prehabilitation Program, where they're looking at people coming into hospital, uh, and they're mainly talking about exercise um, to try to sort of reduce the risk of thrombotic events. Mm -hmm. But I think we, I was on that committee and I was trying to sort of introduce maybe that's an opportunity to sort of try to really change people's diet even if it's only yeah. for three or four weeks yes. to really arm them with yeah. polyphenols and the right bacteria yeah. mm. to reduce the risk of uh, adverse events mm. reduce the risk of infection and actually um going forward you know i think if you can change the environment in the body around say a cancer you start getting changes in that cancer so if you do get these cells spreading off at the time of surgery it's mm. maybe less likely to form roots and metastasize but that's all in the sort of research domain at the moment yeah because uh, from my limited understanding of cancer research a lot of it is reactive at this point we spend the large majority of our money on um, medications toxic drugs surgery which all have their place massively mm -hmm. but if you ask me i'd rather try and prevent myself from getting cancer in the first place and my understanding of how much we spend in preventative medicine is less than 5% mm. of the total mm. NHS budget, which is very, very small. And there's a lot of evidence that we can prevent a lot of these things mm. if we start early enough and also detect as well. Mm. So 
Yeah, I think that definitely needs to. It, it does. The problem is um, preventative interventions haven't been particularly successful. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we know from uh, World Cancer Research Fund, WHO, Cancer Research UK, who have done very clever statistics that about 50% of cancers um, could be avoided if we led a healthy lifestyle. Uh, the others, um, you know, men, you know, I'm not blaming people for getting cancer. Some mm. people live the life of an angel and still get it. Yeah. Uh, but also there's, there's some evidence that if you have a healthier lifestyle and you get the cancer, it's going to be later in life and perhaps less aggressive mm. and more amenable to being cured. Mm. Um, but, you know, you tell a, you know, you tell your, your, your teenage kids uh, to eat healthily because they might get cancer in 20 years time. It's sort of falling on deaf ears, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, that's why they're not investing more, I think, yeah. because it, it's not changing uh, behavior and yeah. it's getting people to change their behavior is, is the hard bit. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's definitely a motivational element of, you know, investing now and uh, with a payoff later, but it's also about, um, I think, looking at the wider determinants of health. It's something that I've come to realize throughout my six years of working as a general practitioner it's easy for me to arm people with the information. It's harder to appreciate the uh, other determinants, time, uh, financial insecurity, um, stress, and all the mm. other things that will predict as to whether they're going to be able to cook one of my meals yeah. Uh, yeah. every day, um, or you know whether they're going to fall into old habits or going to be, you know. Uh, uh, susceptible to the the advertising from the mm. junk food industry so. in in your books which i've read are fantastic and and certainly in my <laughs> mind as well what we, we're talking about preventing chronic disease mm. through through diet mm. so we know we talked about cancer about 50 percent of them could be prevented mm. but actually things like arthritis mm. heart disease mm. premature aging mm. parkinson's disease stroke these are all you know related to chronic inflammation and gut health and they can definitely be uh, the incidence can be reduced. Mm. We're not going to get rid of them, but when you get them, is going to be you know in a much older age and a less severe form. Mm. Um, but what COVID is perhaps changing the the goalposts here is if you say to someone who's um, you know overweight has a poor diet, you say, "Come on, you, you need to try to change because you will avoid the risk of chronic disease in twenty years' time." Mm. They may not be so interested, mm. but actually with COVID, what it's showing is people who have these comorbidities are more likely to get a fatal illness now. Mm. So actually, COVID, you know, the horrible, terrible catastrophe for that might actually be th getting people thinking, well, actually, maybe I need to be changing now, not mm. to prevent a disease in 20 years time, to prevent a disease which could happen next week. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously, it's, you can't, you know, become... Uh, from obese to normal overnight, but actually a lot of the evidence, so it's the process of changing is more important. Mm. So you can be, you know, overweight, but, but still quite healthy. Mm. So if you change your diet and you exercise more, that can start changing your gut health. It can reduce your estrogen levels before you start seeing a reduction in weight. Mm. And this is why I try to say to the patients, you know, don't be despondent that you go on the scales and you only see a little bit. Mm. The processes you're doing is improving your health before you see reductions in actual weight. Yeah, yeah. I, I, as harsh as it sounds, I, I think COVID has really brought to attention the importance of healthy eating and that motivational element of it having an impact tomorrow mm. uh it's something that is kicking a lot of people into gear and mm. i think everyone's motivations are different 
you know, some people are motivated by money or time or aesthetics. Mm -hmm. I think most of us are motivated um, also by fear uh, as well. Uh, and again, as harsh as it sounds, the fact that tens of thousands of people have died in this mm -hmm. country alone, and we're witnessing this on a global level, it has sparked a lot of fear. And I think a lot mm -hmm. more people are motivated to, to do something about poor health habits that yeah. we all have, you know, we're all yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, privy to it. I hope so. I'd, I'd like to see, you know, the evidence for that coming through that yes. people are changing yeah. their lifestyle. I mean, I, without criticizing the government, I mean, it's been a very hard process for every government mm. in the world. I find it a little bit odd looking at the data, which is very obvious, mm. you know, it's all published The New York data is fantastic. Mm. Uh, the Chinese data is coming out. This, this issue with, you know, over 50 have to lock down. I mean, it's, you just go on to the yes. uh, Chinese publication. Age is irrelevant. Yeah. Age is just a correlation that you've got something else wrong with yes, you. Yes, yeah. The data shows very clearly you can be in your late 80s, but if you've got no comorbidities, mm. you have no more risk of COVID. Mm. Mm. It's not an age thing. It's, it's a disease thing. And mm. you can be in your 30s and 40s and have lots of problems, which is going to increase your risk. But it's only till recently they've started saying, oh, let's get on your bike. Let's do more exercise. Mm. Mm. You know, this is a great opportunity. We know that smoking increases your risk of the lung damage. You know, there should have been campaigns saying, you know, stop smoking. There are some countries, Italy, for example, have banned smoking, haven't they? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, right. I, I, I'm <laughs> sure that's... I'd have to verify that story because yeah, yeah. I was only told by Italian. But, uh, but, you know, some countries are saying, look, you know, we know that excess alcohol, we know yeah. that smoking is bad. Mm. Uh, use this as an opportunity as yeah. well as a, as a, as a, as a, as a risk. Um, but, you know, I... I think it should be a step further. Mm. You know, I think it, it should be, okay, we don't have grade A evidence yet. You mm. know, the trial I'm doing is trying to get that and there's mm. some others around the world. But, you know, it's not gonna do any harm saying to people, come on, instead yeah. of five a day vegetables, you should be doing 10 of eight yeah, day yeah. vegetables. You should be, you know, just trying to exercise every day, mm. keeping your weight down if, if possible. Mm. Vitamin D, again, we need more evidence. And I was very surprised that the, there was a, an official thing saying, um, an announcement saying there's no evidence that vitamin D influences COVID. But, you know, at the end of the day, many people in Britain are vitamin D deficient. Yeah, exactly. And we know there's hundreds of other benefits of yeah, vitamin yeah. D. <laughs> and even if it could possibly be relevant, it's a cheap thing you can take over the counter or just go and take your shirt off and lie yeah. in the park for, for <laughs> yeah. half an hour. You yeah. know? So I think we should be concentrating more on that yeah. without blaming people, of yeah. course. Yeah. The last thing we want to do, mm. but just encouraging people to change. Yeah. On that note, I'm going to serve up this meal, which is definitely polyphenol rich, and I hope you're going to enjoy it. Good thing I try to tell people is not to snack between meals. So oh, yeah. I've had my breakfast at uh, eight o'clock, so oh, yeah. uh, I haven't had anything since. Yeah, so. Do you intermittently yeah, fast definitely. at all? Hmm? Do you intermittently fast at all, or do I, you have an eating window? I, I don't. Um, and I'm not saying the data's not okay for that. Mm. Um, if you looked at the 5-2 diet, you know, the Michael Mosley, yeah. who's actually shares the same publisher, so I should oh, really? uh, encourage yeah, yeah. that. It's all yeah. very good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you actually looked at the data, I mean, the, the best data is the overnight fasting. Um, gotcha. if, you, if, if you can go 13 hours overnight. Yeah. Um, and uh, extrapolating from that, I think, you know, having your breakfast at 7.38 and then eating nothing Mm. till one one o'clock mm. i think that uh, that leaving your stomach to empty um actually makes a, a you know letting your insulin pathways yes. die down yeah 
uh, you know, having food in your stomach all the time mm. is 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 really unhealthy. Yeah. It's, it's not good for the amount of t- um, carcinogens in the food. It's not good for your gut enzymes. It affects your PhD, and it's con- you know it's, your, your your system's in overdrive yeah. all the time. Just giving it a rest and mm. uh, yeah, is, is my uh, take on it. It's one of the recommendations I, I give to patients to really think about. You know, just just that simple act of giving yourself a bit of a rest um, mm. overnight and. You know, like you said, if, you, if you're constantly eating, your gut's never having a rest, mm. and it does need a little bit of a break. Let, let's let's get you eat. <laughs> I want you to try. And well, I, I had breakfast at uh, at eight. It's now two uh, eight, o'clock, okay. so I've had. Uh, <laughs> you're probably ravenous. Okay, so this is uh, the Greek style beans. You can imagine taking this to the table and then doing the feta and the parsley at the table, but I'm going to serve it for you okay. right, in a bowl so it's easier. I don't, I'm sure you don't it's, want to just dive into this. I, I can uh, I can smell it. it Smell-wise? Really, yeah, yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> Good. Okay. And obviously, just dodge the, uh, the parsley and the yeah. big stick of cinnamon. But, I mean, one of the reasons why I cook like this is... Um, not only because of the health benefits and and you know that uh, um, the the impact that can have, but it's um it, it's for the enjoyment of food as well. I mean that's why my the recipes sort of skip through different mm-hmm. um, uh, different cultures and cuisines. It's way way in which we celebrate different uh, cultures and stuff and yeah share food. And and you know um, I hear from patients sometimes and friends. You know I. I I don't want to live till a hundred, you know, I prefer to enjoy myself. But he said, we're, we're actually talking about things which are more enjoyable yeah, than yeah. white bread with plastic yeah. cheese on, yeah. you know, it's a, um, it, it's, it, it's a strange quirk of nature that, that foods which are healthy yeah. uh, generally taste yeah, really good taste as well. Exactly. You know, it's, a, it's yeah. an all-win situation. And I think it's like about retraining our taste buds as well. If you are sort of um, of that, you know, you do like the white bread and plastic cheese, which I refuse to believe over a long term. You know, you, you can like learn to enjoy flavors very, very gently. You don't have to go straight in with it. Okay, tiny a bit of seasoning. And there we go. Oh, let me give you a Ooh, spoon. Wow, this. It might be a little bit hot, so maybe. Yeah. Well, I'm used to eating beans, so okay. I, yeah, but as you say, some people might be put off by by the beans if they're not used to. Yes. It, but you have to break that barrier. Yes. Know, say, uh, yeah. Definitely. So this is straight out of the oven. Am I going to burn straight, myself? Yeah, yeah, you'll on, be fine. Uh, you just give it a blow, <laughs> and then <laughs> you'll be okay. Well, it looks fantastic. Good. It smells really nice. I hope your kids enjoy it as well. You've kept the celery a little bit crisp, which yes, is good. Yeah. If I'd done this, it would, that would be a soggy yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> slush in the background. The mm. leeks are soft, but the mm. celery gives a bit of crunch. Yeah, um, so it's got a crunch and the yeah. beans. But the flavours have tried to keep quite, quite, um, quite traditional in, in the way you might find it in like a Greek restaurant. But this, I love the way the beans... Um, the oregano is sort of got absorbed into the beans yeah. and it tastes a bit oregano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm taking it you like. Impressed. It. Yeah. <laughs> but as I said, I'm going to have to make it and um, I'll courier it down to do, you or something. Please do, yeah. Mm. Mm. This is going down a treat. Good, good. Well, I hope your kids like it as well. well do, you want to, do you want to see if they like it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on. Amma. What do you think? It's really good. It's good? Yeah. yeah. Great. <laughs> Do you think Dad could make that for you? No. 
I'm going to prove to you he can, honestly. He's I've, definitely about to make that. I've been taught I'm going to do it next week. <laughs> she doesn't look particularly convinced. I think you're wrong. I think I'm going to be a cordon bleu master chef. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thanks for the tap on the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>you enjoyed today's podcast remember you can get all the show notes on the doctorskitchen.com forward slash podcast and check out the details of the study that's going on the ingredients that have been put into the food and a pill supplementation as well as professor's brilliant book as well as his future book as well that'll be coming out later this year i think you're going to absolutely love it and uh, i can't wait to talk about it more take care and i will see you here next week Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 